0: Hey everybody, welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. I'm your host, Tessa Morrow, and those awesome tunes are courtesy as always, a country legend, Bobby Mackey. Totally forgot to mention it last week, but it's a leap year this year. Awesome stuff. Happy leap year to all. 2020 is sort of flying right by as we are already in March. Can't believe it. Tuberculosis. It's one evil son of a bitch dates back to as far as 17,000 years ago. The evidence? The remains of a bison. (coughs) Remains being found in Wyoming. It's not only animals. Human skeletal remains dating back 4,000 B.C. were found to have tuberculosis as well. It was found in the spines of mummies in Egypt from back to 3,000 to 2,400 B.C. Today, it remains as deadly as ever, as it is the number one cause of death due to an infectious disease. So, be careful next time you're out and about and someone sneezes in your direction, or coughs coughs close to you. As we know, places like Waverly, many going in, never left. In the 19th century, New England was experiencing many deaths, specifically in Rhode Island, connecticut and vermont better known as the new england vampire panic tuberculosis known as consumption was claiming lives left and right it was strongly believed by the people that consumption was occurring when the dead would consume the life of their surviving loved ones and i'm not kidding they took it so seriously That many bodies were in fact exhumed and the eternal organs would be removed and then burned. This was thought it would stop any sort of vampire activity. Thou shalt not rise from the dead and feast on my blood, nor body, and spread thou deadliest of diseases, consumption. People were terrified would they be next? There is one case that stands out, that of Mercy Lena Brown. But before I talk about her and her case, I want to quickly read a report from a doctor, Lucy Abel, in 1873. She reports to Massachusetts State Board of Health, quote, I should be sorry to be understood as recommending drunkenness as a cure for consumption, but I have known several instances where nearly all the family from five to nine children have successfully died of Thysis. Finally, one of the boys from sheer desperation took to excessive drinking of alcohol stimulants. These boys are now past middle life and enjoying good health when last heard from. In two families, not less than five or six victims in each were carried off by consumption. In each, there was always one sick, and short time before death, another would be prostrated. In one family, they resorted to the horrible relic of superstition, the burning of the heart, etc., of the dead, and the ashes were swallowed by the survivors in the hopes that the fatal demon would be exorcised from the family, but it did not avail. But another son fell a victim, and then the alcoholic treatment was tried, not as an expected remedy, but as a means of forgetfulness of impending doom, and no deaths in the family have, to my knowledge, since occurred. I mean, this was a horrific thing, folks. This spreading disease was spreading fear, panic, distress, and despair into the hearts and souls of people. And not only that, but terrified of the walking dead. This is no TV show. This is life and death. Lots of it. Picture it Rhode Island, the year 1892. The woman stands in her home. She looks out the window, watching people working, walking past, living their lives. And she's trying to live her own. But pff, day by day, it's getting harder and harder. <sighs> Tomorrow, more challenging than today, she coughs. <coughs> it isn't just a regular cough, <coughs> it rattles her bones. It hurts every inch of her body. Her lungs burn. Oh, God, do they burn. She's never, ever felt this way before. Suddenly, she hears it. (laughs) A tiny cough is heard in the next room. Oh, she silently prays to God that it's nothing more than just that, a tiny little itty-bitty cough. As days go by, the house becomes more active. A cough here, a whopping cough there. Coughing, it's growing more persistent by the minute. She attends to her children. Her daughter is violently coughing now. When she uncovers her mouth, she sees splotches of blood, fatigue, chest pain, fever, chills. You name it, this household had it. And there was no sign of it retreating. George Brown was watching his wife, Mary Eliza, and his daughter, Mary Olive. Their health was dissipating right before his very eyes. Once happy and healthy, now sick and dying. His wife, Mary, was the first family member to die due to consumption, the deadly tuberculosis, TB. Then... In 1886, his daughter Mary would join her deceased mother, his late wife. A few years go by when suddenly, all too familiar symptoms show their ugly, fatal heads. The house filled with coughing and sneezing and so on. George has already buried one child and his wife. How much more can this man and his family, remaining family, take? In 1891... Both his surviving children, Mercy and Edwin, contract the deadly disease that his family has grown all too familiar with, unfortunately consumption, tuberculosis. Once again, twice again, Mercy dies. Edwin, he is struggling to survive. He is literally in the fight for his life. George, he's desperate. I can't even imagine what was going through this man's head. I mean, poor man. He needs to save Edwin, his son. He takes him to Colorado Springs. Many people suffering from TB, including Freeland Oscar Stanley, the founder of the Stanley Hotel, found themselves traveling to Colorado to (sighs) breathe that fresh mountain air into their diseased lungs. In Stanley's case, him and his wife Flora stayed for the entire summer. His health, dramatically improved. He enjoyed Colorado so much and appreciated what it did for his health that he decided to live there part-time, returning every single year. And you know what? He lived till the ripe age of 91. Now, while it seemed Freeland Stanley recovered completely from tuberculosis, the Rocky air did no such thing for Edwin Brown, and he came back to Rhode Island ugh, sicker than ever. Word started to spread as fast as the deadly disease. One of the Brown's diseased relatives is a vampire and is causing all this death and despair. As we know now, consumption was severely misunderstood back then. And poor George, who was mourning with the exception of his son, Almost his entire family. He was forced into the exhumation of his wife and two children, his sweet daughters. George Brown did not believe the vampire theory. Not one bit. No. He thought it was ludicrous. People that were no longer living suddenly awakening and walking the earth and claiming lively victims? Utterly ridiculous. And to think, one of his loved ones being accused of such a thing, a vampire, Please, don't insult me. After being persuaded into exhuming the bodies on the 17th day of March in 1892, a local doctor with the company of several of the village people and a reporter with a local newspaper, they did just that. They exhumed the bodies. Not an entirely easy thing to do, but they felt it needed to be done. It had to be done. It must be done, right? The earlier victims, Mary and her eldest daughter, Mary Olive, exhibited the normal level of decomp. They were in the clear, neither being the deadly culprit. They're innocent. The remains of Mercy, however, demanded more attention. Her body was almost lively-like. It was almost perfect. There was almost no decomposition whatsoever, and her heart, shockingly enough still contained blood. Can it be? Mercy, Lena Brown, is a vampire? Most yelped, yes! While a few cried, no! They felt that she was responsible for what was happening with the sole survivor, her brother, Edwin. Is she the reason why he is so deathly ill? Is she literally sucking the life out of her brother? To make sure she couldn't do more harm to the boy, they took Mercy's heart and liver and burned them. After being completely burned, they took the remaining ashes of the cremains, mixing them with water, and they then had the bedridden Edwin drink the disturbing concoction. This, of course, did not work, and poor Edwin died two months after drinking his late sister's liver and heart, leaving George childless, familyless, and utterly alone. The doctor did not play into the vampire thing. He was a doctor. He studied medicine. He was seasoned. He had practiced it for some time now. He had answers for the confused villagers, whether they wanted to hear it or not. Listen, Where Mary Eliza and Mary Olive, mother and daughter, had been dead for a few years now, Mercy Lena had been dead barely two months. It was during the cold months in Rhode Island, and she was interred in a crypt. That was basically acting like a freezer, preserving her body. Makes sense, right? But the people, they didn't want to hear any of this. They'd rather believe she was a vampire. Mercy Lena Brown probably did a lot in her 19 years on Earth, but she will forever be remembered as a vampire. Rhode Island became known to many as the vampire capital of America, something I never knew as I always thought New Orleans held that title. In 1897, the man who wrote Dracula, Bram Stoker, dies. In his files, people find articles and newspaper accounts of the vampire Mercy Brown. Several people travel and visit her final resting place to this very day, leaving gifts and prayers behind, kind of like Marie Laveau in New Orleans. While it was probably tuberculosis and tuberculosis alone that claimed the lives of George Brown's family, Mercy's hands will remain bloody, as she will always be known as the vampire in Rhode Island. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others, they're equally awesome. Haven't heard them all yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen now by going to Castbox, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts. Basically, wherever you listen to your other amazing podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. See you next week. Poor Pearl, poor girl, lay dead upon the ground. Poor Pearl, poor girl, her head was never found. Scott Jackson had a pregnant girlfriend. Pearl Bryan was her name. He and Alonzo Walling met her at the train. That night, a plot unfolded